Ladies and gentlemen, the Brit Pack is back. Simon Head from Rochester in the UK. Chimatkar Sandu from Toronto in Canada. And I am powered by Red Bull, ladies and gentlemen, because I've had about an hour's sleep since Saturday night. At least that's what it feels like. I'm a very tired man. I'm being propped up by caffeine. And uh, we are recording this podcast a day early because that's just what we do. Simon Head and Chimatkar Sandu, as I said, UFC 252 is in the books. The trilogy is in the books. Stipe Miocic defeating Daniel Cormier. And so much to unpack. But Sandu, you were a lucky bugger because you didn't have to work Saturday night. And you look... We record this, uh, for anyone listening, we actually record this on Skype so we can see each other. So Sandu, you can see my haunted features through my webcam and I can see how fresh-faced and and, uh, blessed with sleep he is. How was your weekend, Sandu? You're looking much better for it than I do. Yeah, so I was thankfully I was off on on Saturday night, so it's not uh, that often these days that I can actually kick back and watch a UFC event uh, purely as a fan and not have to think about doing anything behind the scenes for for BT Sport, any kind of social media clippings or anything like that, right? So um, so yeah, so I didn't have to do anything on Saturday. I mean, this month actually, just kind of give you a little peek behind the curtain. It's actually a, a big WWE month. Uh, for, for us and for me personally, so like with regards to what I'm doing for BT Sport, I'm doing every Monday Night Raw, I'm doing every Friday Night SmackDown, I'm doing SummerSlam, um, I'm, and I'm doing all the UFC events, but the one UFC event I wasn't doing was this past weekend's pay-per-view, so it, it was nice. It's, it's quite, you know, like I said, it's quite rare these days for me to be able to just kind of kick back, relax with some friends uh, and watch a UFC pay-per-view, especially a title fight of that magnitude. So it was nice, and like you said, yeah, I'm feeling fresh as the daisy. I was able to kick back on on Saturday night with some takeaway, and uh, yeah, it was good. It was it was fun, and I really enjoyed it. And, and these kind of moments are few and far between these days because we're in the business, aren't we, Sire? We're always working. We're we're part of the industry, so uh, to have a, a rare off night and, and watch some high level MMA was uh, was was great. Yeah, I did. I think I did four a.m. till eight p.m. Saturday night, Sunday morning. And I did that on about three hours sleep um, because of my, my crazy kids. But um, it was it was an experience. But when you're staying up doing these insane hours, watching fights at stupid o'clock in the morning, it really helps when the fights have real meaning to them. And when it comes to the UFC heavyweight division, none have had the meaning that Saturday night's fight had. Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier, it was their third fight. Cormier knocked out Stipe Miocic at UFC 226, first time round in the first round. Stipe then came back, finished Daniel Cormier in the fourth round at UFC 241, setting up the rubber match, which we had on Saturday night. Lots to unpack, so let's just dive straight in. Uh, Stipe Miocic getting the win on the scorecards. Um, I saw a bit of disquiet on on Twitter with regards to the scores. 49-46 twice and 48-47. I scored it 49-46 to Stipe Miocic. It was a this is the thing. You look at the you look at the the score differential on the scorecards and people go, "Oh, it's never a 49-46 fight." Well, it was because the first round could easily have gone either way. I gave it to Stipe. I know a lot of people would have given it to DC because he wobbled Stipe at the end of the round, but prior to that, Stipe was effectively outstriking Cormier for most of the round. And it was a case of how do you balance it? Do you balance that one shot from Cormier that wobbled him higher than every other shot that Stipe landed in that round? 
I didn't think so. I didn't think Stipe was close to being finished. I just thought it stunned him. So I gave the round to Stipe. And then the rest of the fight was uh, was 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 pretty close. Um, and, uh, you know, it went to the it went to the scorecards and uh, it was a unanimous decision in the end. Stipe got the nod. 49-46 twice and 48-47. First question, how did you score it? Yeah, sure. So I gave round one to Daniel Cormier. Just, just. I gave rounds two and three to Stipe. I gave round four to DC. And then I gave round five to Stipe. So my scorecard was 48-47 to Stipe. But... I'd have absolutely no problem with a 49-46 scorecard either because I agree with you. That first round could have gone either way. In fact, even round four was was very close. Uh, it was a very competitive fight in, in total. It was there was only back and forth uh, forward exchanges, which kind of sums up you know the, the whole kind of I guess trilogy. You know, it, one, you know went one way um, with regards to DC. Uh, defeating Stipe, then Stipe gets his belt back, and then Stipe gets it done in the rubber match. It was high drama, to say the least. Obviously, eye pokes played a part, not just in this fight, but throughout the course of all three fights. And um, I think the most, I guess, important or the most impactful eye poke eventually came, ironically, uh, at the hands of DC getting his eye poked by Stipe when I think the rhetoric and the kind of uh, subplot to this kind of fight itself but the, the whole saga between these two men was the whole you know DC keeps his hand extended and, and he's the one that's always you know poking the eye of his opponent and all the rest of it and then lo and behold wouldn't you believe it it's it's him on the receiving end of a vicious eye poke and, um, you know, after the fact, Mark Goddard came out to apologize, which I didn't even feel like he needed to apologize. It was nice that he wanted to actually come out and say, hey, look, he can only call what he sees. And things happen so fast in the cage. We have the luxury of seeing things from all different angles and slow motion and all the rest of it. But it was literally an eye for an eye. You know, that could have been Miocic uh, on, on the receiving end of uh, what is now, I believe, a, a scratched or an injured cornea. That DC is having to deal with, and fingers crossed, it's there's no permanent damage there, and he can you know you know get it get it sorted and um, get it fixed by a, by whatever means that 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 happens to get fixed these days. I have no idea. I'm not the, the eye specialist or anything like that, but clearly there was an impact. You know that was a pivotal moment in the fight. Um, outside of DC also getting rocked, I felt like there was a moment in the fight. I think it was between the second and third round at some point. Um, where he was kind of sitting, you know, sitting on the stool, um, and I could just, you could just tell he was still rocked. He needed that minute to recover, and by the time the next round started, he was still on, on, on Fifth Street there. So, um, you know what? Overall, though, you can't take anything away from Stipe, Simon. Stipe got the job done, and he has proven without a shadow of a doubt that not only were he, was he the better man uh, between these two over the course of three fights, but he's a hands down, 100% by far, easily the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. And if you want to make the case that he is the greatest heavyweight in MMA history, well, this result just further compounds it. And we spoke about this last week with regards to 
people bringing Fedor into the equation, which you, you have absolutely all the right in the world to do. And if, if the greatest heavyweight in your opinion is Fedor, I have absolutely no problem with that. If the greatest heavyweight in MMA history is Stipe Miocic, I have absolutely no problem with that either. But what Stipe has done right now is really cemented his legacy at the very minimum, the greatest heavyweight in UFC history. Yeah, definitely. And uh, just very quickly back on the scorecards, I scored the fourth round also for Daniel Cormier. That was a round that I gave him. Um, and the instant where you talked about um, between rounds two and three, Stipe rocked him bad at the end of the second round. And actually on the stall, um, Cormier was saying, did I go out then? Did I go out? Which meant clearly he had, right? <laughs> because if he did, if he, if you're asking that question, then obviously you, you know, you've been very, even for a split second, you've been switched off. So um, it was weird because it was Cormier that clipped Stipe at the end of round one. Stipe clips Cormier at the end of round two. And uh, it's interesting, the narrative that was being was being offered leading into the fight, and we even spoke about it leading into that fight, was that that small cage was going to be a benefit for Daniel Cormier. Well, actually, it looked like it was more of a benefit for Stipe Miocic because it was him who was bossing the clinches. It was him who was forcing the action up against the fence at times. There were passages in that fight that really weren't very pretty to watch where Stipe was just wearing on Daniel Cormier against the cage. That's DC 101. That's that's what he does. He Daniel Cormier, Daniel Cormier in that fight. Um, and uh, the only thing that was missing was a finish. But it's testament to the toughness of both guys. They both got eye poked really bad in that fight. And I think that's also it's such a hard thing to eliminate from the game with the fingerless gloves. You can't grapple without the use of your fingers. Um, and with the fact that you've got two guys who are quite prepared to take you down and to lean in and, and try and engage people's hands are going to be open. You're, you, you know, you are going to look to try and fend people off and push people off. And I think it's just a natural consequence of how they both fought that fight, that eye pokes were going to be a story in that fight. And you just hope that Daniel Cormier is, hasn't got any lasting damage. Um, you know, Michael Bisbing is his commentary uh, teammate with the UFC former UFC champion, he knows all about taking eye pokes. He knows all about eye injuries. Uh, I think it was a head kick from Vitor Belfort actually uh, caused the lasting damage um, that he's dealing with now. Um, but yeah, it's 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 a tough one. And it's it's sad that the fight had... I'm not saying it's got an, um, an asterisk next to it because it hasn't. You know, everything that happened in that fight happened... Uh, you know, there was, you know, there was no um, terrible judging call or bad refereeing or, you know, one eye poke was missed. But I don't think the eye poke particularly changed the fight much. I'm sure DC might feel differently, but I think the fight was going Stipe's way prior to that anyway. Um, but uh, I don't think it was a controversial end to the trilogy, which means that we can draw a line under it. We can with all clear conscience, say that Stipe Miocic was the better man over three fights. And he is legitimately the best heavyweight in UFC history. Um, and uh, I think also the fact that he's competing during an era when everybody is being tested. There are no performance enhancing drug issues that perhaps there were in the past. Um, this is This is the first time you can look at a heavyweight um, or sorry, an elite heavyweight's body of work and say, this guy legitimately did it. 
You know, there, there's no, there's no, there's no chance of a question mark over Stipe's legacy. I don't think so. For me, yeah, greatest heavyweight in UFC history, greatest heavyweight of all time, quite possibly, quite possibly. Yeah, I mean, Fedor had that ten-year unbeaten run in Pride. You've also got to look at some of the people he fought in that 10-year run. Some of them were top of the list. Some of them, not so much. So, um, But Stipe's been fighting the best, and uh, he's been beating them. And no one's done what he's done since winning the belt as well. That's the other thing. Um, so credit to him. And both him and DC, two of the nicest guys you could possibly meet away from the cage. DC is superb on the microphone. He knows exactly what to do. Stipe really isn't that comfortable in front of the mic. It's not his thing. Get him away from the mic. He's a riot. Put him on the mic. He just seems to shut up shop a little bit. But um, hey, he can do what he wants. He's the champ. Be interesting to know what he does next. It's, it looks like he is going to carry on his career. Which leads me on to the next question, Sandu. Francis Ngannou has been sitting there patiently waiting for his title shot. In theory, he should be next. Dana White alluded to the fact that he, he will be next. But... A certain Johnny Bones Jones was quite active on social media during that fight, taking pot shots at DC mostly uh, through the fight. Um, my suspicion is that he thought DC would win that fight, which is why he was specifically aiming at DC. But uh, even after the fight, he kept on going. He says, I'm going up to, you know, heavyweight division, I'm coming. I'm going to be victorious, all the rest of it. He is throwing his hat in the ring for a shot at the UFC heavyweight belt. If you're the UFC, what do you book first? If you're Stipe Miocic, who do you want next? So that's two separate questions. Oh, let's chuck another one in. What fight would you rather see? Stipe versus Ngannou? Stipe versus Johnny Bones? There you go. I've chucked three questions at you. Well, I'm glad that you asked that question because that's the same question I asked the people on Twitter. You know, Simon, I love to do these polls especially on a Sunday when everyone's had a chance to digest all the results and all, all the rest of it. So before I give you my take, let me just give you some insight with regards to what the people have told me on Twitter. So I asked a question, who do you want to see Stipe Miocic fight next? John Jones or Francis Ngannou? Almost 5,000 votes, 58% prefer to see the Francis Ngannou rematch. I then followed that up by asking, okay, if we get Stipe Miocic versus Francis Ngannou 2, Next, who are you picking to win? 59% are picking Stipe Miocic to win, which makes all the sense in the world. You dominate the first fight, right? It's just fascinating to me that they prefer to see uh, the rematch right now, even though they picked Stipe Miocic to win again. But it makes a lot of sense, right? You know, here's a guy who's obviously had a few uh, setbacks, but he's on this incredible uh, winning streak right now, and he's earned the, the opportunity to fight for the title again. Makes all the sense in the world. I then asked... If we get Stipe Miocic versus John Jones next, who are you picking to win? 56% would pick John Jones to win. So I say all that to say, to say this. If I'm the UFC, the fight I'm going to make next is all with regards to what John Jones wants to do next. Because regardless of whoever the heavyweight champion is, if John Jones calls me, and says, right, I'm moving up to heavyweight. I want my next fight to be at heavyweight. It has to be for the title. It has to be for the title, in my opinion, right? You have to capitalize on a reigning and defending light heavyweight champion, arguably the greatest of all time. Um, one of the biggest pay-per-views, uh, uh, pay-per-view um, 
attractions that the UFC has. He's not at the level of a Conor or a Khabib or uh, a Nate Diaz or Jorge Masvidal, but he is right, you know, behind that list of four I just mentioned. You've got to capitalize on the idea of this guy coming up to heavyweight for the very first time. The story would be incredible. And the, the matchup between him and Stipe would be just, you know, mouthwatering in terms of a prospect because Stipe weighed in our, what, 236, 236 pounds on Friday. That's not too far off from what John Jones walk-around weight is. You know, he cuts down to 205. So it kind of makes you think, right? Um, so that's, that's what I'm doing. If I'm the UFC, I'm trying to make the biggest fight possible. I'm making Stipe Miocic versus John Jones to... Uh, it's a fight that I also think that John Jones would be quite favorable in winning. And again, if, you, if you're trying to figure out a way to how to, you know, keep that John Jones, you know, I guess, star power driving forward for the foreseeable future, to, to have him be another double champ in UFC history, which is a very short and limited list of individuals who have accomplished that, but then also be a, be a fight who can easily drift from heavyweight to 205. Uh, that's an interesting prospect. Um, I think it sells way more pay-per-views as well, Simon, than the Francis and Garnu rematch. It's it's uh, Miocic and Garnu. We've seen it. We we know how it's how it's uh, how it played out the first time round. And although I feel as though Francis and Garnu has uh, improved a lot uh, since the first Miocic fight, I still feel as though Miocic would have his number. I think Miocic knows how to you know avoid the the, the power. Uh, that Francis Ngannou brings by essentially, um, you know, grinding out a result against him, uh, taking him to deeper waters, and kind of leveraging on the lack of stamina uh, that you know Ngannou has shown. He has uh, a tendency to, to, to I guess, lose the momentum as as the later the the fights go. So, um, so yeah. So if I find the UFC, I'm making the John Jones fight. But I say this: listen, I've got no problem whatsoever in seeing Miocic and Garner too either. I, like I said, Ingarnu is a different fighter, and I'm sure you know the UFC would love to have Ingarnu, the baddest man on the planet, be also the scariest man on the planet. Um, yeah, he, he does great for himself on social media, um, and 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 and, and, I, and I, I hate to say this, but I'm trying to say it in the most respectful way possible with regards to Stipe Miocic. The heavyweight, the UFC heavyweight title, the UFC could do a lot more with it if it wasn't the shoulder of a Francis Ngannou or a John Jones when it comes to media, PR, marketability, uh, when it comes to promotion and selling pay-per-views. Uh, Miocic always needs a dance partner, whereas I think with Ngannou, you just kind of market him like the boxing world used to market Mike Tyson back in the day. And then with John Jones, you just continue to use the the rhetoric of him being the GOAT, the greatest of all time. And he continues to add to his legacy, now holding titles in two different weight classes. So I guess that's my roundabout way of saying I don't, I don't mind either, I guess. <laughs> no, it's I, you could almost say there is no wrong answer here. But what I think will happen um, and what I actually would do is... John Jones has unfinished business at 205 pounds with Dominic Reyes. I saw Dominic Reyes on social media post something just a couple of days ago, um, which alluded to the fact that he's got himself a big fight. Um, there is only one big fight at 205 pounds that Dominic Reyes is interested in, and that's the rematch with Johnny Bones Jones. Watch the skies. I think that may well be getting announced soon. Now, I would book that. 
I would book Stipe versus Francis Ngannou. But what I would do, put them on the same card. Put them on the same card. Where are we now? August. Could If you could get them to turn around for November, that might be a bit of a stretch for Stipe, given that you went five rounds with DC. But maybe the end of year, you know, the end of year card. We might even have crowds by then. You never know. You never know. Um, end of year card. At worst, do it at the Apex. At best, do it at T-Mobile Arena in in uh, in Vegas. Put them both on the same card. If Johnny Bones gets past Dominic Reyes, he has completed the UFC light heavyweight division at that point. Like you know, he's finished the game. He's beaten all the end of level bosses that's it finish the game throw that one in the bin now upgrade to heavyweight up you go but he imagine this he goes and beats dominic reyes which is no gimme by the way because reyes pretty much beat him last time he beats reyes then he sits himself back possibly at cage side after he's had his medicals and then watches stipe miocic and francis Ngannou go at it in a rematch and then they bring him into the cage at the end of that fight and then you've got yourself an absolute blockbuster, irrespective of the result. No matter who wins the Miocic and Garnu fight, you have got yourself a colossal heavyweight title fight to launch your, your schedule in 2021. It's there, it's ready to be made, and it doesn't require a massive build-up because Jones is still fighting because he's going to be facing Dominic Reyes. Miocic and Garnu will settle their business. Everything keeps moving along. It's 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 Everyone's a winner on this because everything keeps moving. The fights keep happening. And then at the end of it, if, you know, the fly in the ointment here is Dominic Reyes, of course. If Dominic Reyes beats John Jones, then Jones is possibly moving up to heavyweight uh, without a belt, which would be uh, which would be fascinating. Uh, either that or you've got a trilogy at light heavyweight. Um, but the situation where Jones could move up as light heavyweight champion, going for the heavyweight belt, and uh, taking on Francis Ngannou, I'd watch. Taking on Stipe Miocic, greatest heavyweight of all time. Yeah, let's see that as well. So that's how I think they're looking to do it. Get the Reyes thing out of the way. Reyes deserves that rematch. Aside from all of this other stuff, Dominic Reyes deserves a rematch. Let's give him that. Let Jones deal with that. And then onwards and upwards after that. It's looking good for the UFC heavyweight division all of a sudden. Now... One person who won't be involved in that, of course, is Daniel Cormier. He has taken the decision to retire. I, for one, am pleased that he hasn't walked that back. Uh, Hopefully he doesn't walk that back. He'll still be a part of the UFC moving forward with his commentary. What about his legacy? The plan was he would win this fight and he would be the man going down in history, arguably as the greatest heavyweight ever. But he lost. So where does he fit in when we're ranking or looking at the great heavyweights of the UFC or great heavyweights of all time. Where do you think he fits in, Sandu? I think it's, it's, I'd be comfortable with him being ranked in the top five. I think uh, easily top 10, easy. I don't think there's a question of him being counted as one of the top 10 best heavyweights of all time. Um, I just think if, if you consider the only two losses he has at heavyweight have been to Stipe Miocic, who... Again, like we've talked about before, both on last week's show and, and earlier in, in today's show, is the consensus greatest UFC heavyweight of all time. Then 
it's you know if you, if you're like the only guy that has a got a, a win on a, you know one of the wins over him on a very short list of people that have a win over Stephen Miocic, but has also been a champion that weight class and held a champ a championship you know uh, in the weight class below, then yeah, easily top ten. I'd be comfortable with Daniel Cormier being ranked in the top five of the greatest heavyweights, um, both in UFC history and MMA history. So yeah, I've got no problem with that. Uh, and then on top of top of that, I mean, if you just if you're talking about Daniel Cormier's legacy, his career, what he means to the sport, he's done it the right way. He's uh, been a pay-per-view attraction. He's had some incredible rivalries with John Jones and, and now with Stipe Miocic. He's been a fantastic. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? He's been uh, he's been a showman. You know, he he, he understands the, the mark the marketing um, of this sport really really well, and um, he's carried the sport with a lot of integrity. You know, he's the captain of his gym, American Kickboxing Camp Academy. But I almost feel like he takes that same responsibility over with regards to how he's um, showcased mixed martial arts, how he's been able to help the UFC in a, in a lot of different ways as well with regards to, um, you know, how he talks about the sport, what he represents with regards to this sport. He speaks so eloquently. He speaks so well. No two interviews are ever the same. He always, always able to give you uh, an opinion and a take that isn't just regurgitated from what he said five minutes ago. You know what I mean? Um, and, you know, if you think about, you know, what, where we are in the sport now and where it's headed, yes, maybe his competitive years are behind him, but there's so much more he's giving to this sport. You know, with regards to what the work he's doing with ESPN, his analysis work, his his comment, his commentating gig. So he's going to be around for a very long time. And and, and I want the Daniel Cormier personality, the, the Daniel Cormier persona to remain within the sport. I remember a couple of years ago, Simon, and, and I'm sure, you know, you, you've perhaps been in, you know, asked this or been involved in some debate with regards to the, the future of the UFC. Is that is Dana White still going to be, you know, the promotional figurehead? Is he going to call time? And I remember there was only one or two people that ever kind of worth or maybe three, three people that were thrown into the mix of, of, of figures that could take on that responsibility, become the head of the UFC, become the president, become that uh, promotional carnival barker. Brian Stan, Chael Sonnen, and Daniel Cormier, right? And who knows what's going to happen down the road, you know, in the future, but that's a, that's a, that, that, that shows a lot of respect with regards to, you know, what Daniel Cormier is capable of when it comes to promoting this sport, not just the UFC, but the sport itself, promote, promoting other fighters. Um, so, so yeah, it's just, it's just I'm, I'm really proud that we have somebody like DC, part of the sport that we work in and, and this industry that we work in. And from a personal perspective, I've had the opportunity to sit cage side for a Daniel Cormier fight. I've had the opportunity to interview him. He's been very nice and generous to me over the years. I've got nothing bad to say about him from any of our personal experiences. So, yeah, I mean, all-around good guy, and, and I wish him nothing but the best, both for him and his family. Yeah, yeah, I can't do anything other than echo what you just said. I mean, superb, superb guy to deal with. He gets it. He gets the sport. He also gets the job of the media as well. He understands what we need when we turn up to media day and he gives us what we need. Some fighters in the past have struggled with this, but he, he has been one of those who really knows how to sell himself, 
sell his personal brand, sell his fight and give the, give the media something that they can use. And um, he's transitioned effortlessly uh, to the other side of the cage, if you like, when it comes to the media stuff. And uh, it's funny you mentioned the whole uh, potential UFC president slash figurehead thing, because I was about to say the exact same thing. Um, I think Daniel Cormier would be an outstanding figurehead for the UFC. He's got the all of the credentials you could possibly want. He's a he's been up, come through the US collegiate system. He's an Olympian. He's a former UFC champion in two weight classes. He was only the second person to win. Uh, or sorry, only the second person to be a champ champ. I think after after a um, a certain Irishman managed it at UFC two hundred five. Um, he's achieved so much, you know, strike force, heavyweight, Grand Prix champion titles at light heavyweight and heavyweight in the UFC. And he defended them both. You know, I don't know. Um, I, you know, I, 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 I mean, Connor didn't manage that. Amanda Nunes has managed that, but I think it's just Amanda Nunes and, um, and, and Daniel Cormier who have actually defended both their belts. Um, you know, he's been in some epic wars and he's faced a who's who. Uh, light heavyweight and heavyweight over the course of his career just run down the man's list of fights insane you know even stretching back to Jeff Monson uh, back in the strike force days you know he was on his day one of the most dangerous heavyweight grapplers in the world and he's worked his way through and he's beaten a who's who um, so he goes he goes through this with um, with flying colours really you know there isn't there isn't anything you can really say against the man and I just hope we keep him in the sport. That's all I would say. I was very sad when Brian Stan sort of left the sport. You mentioned Stan. I was very sad when he left the sport. I thought he was exactly the sort of person that we need more of. Um, and uh, Daniel Cormier is from, is from slightly different stock, if you like, but he, he does things very similarly. And he's got that same sort of um, gravitas uh, when, it, you know, when, he's, when he's talking about the sport. So wish him all the best in his retirement. There is one fight that I would be happy to see him come back for, and that's the fight that he so dearly wanted and never got, and that's that Brock Lesnar fight. If the Brock Lesnar fight, if all of, if if for some reason Brock Lesnar was at, at a loose end next summer, and they said, "Tell you what, let's just do it just for the hell of doing it," you know, I'd watch that. I'd be happy to see that um, because that's the fight that DC always wanted. Um, but other than that, I think he's achieved everything he could possibly achieve in the sport and uh yeah we wish him all the very best that was the story of Stipe Miocic and Daniel Cormier but that was just the main event co-main event was very interesting Sugar Sean O'Malley went into the fight undefeated a load of hype behind him now quite often when you talk about there being a hype train behind a fighter there's always that underlying suggestion that perhaps that hype isn't deserved but with Sean O'Malley, I think it's been completely legitimate. He's been through, he's had superb performances every time we've seen him. Marlon Chito Vera beat him on Saturday night. First round stoppage. A lot of people online and meet sort of quite soon after the result were saying, fluke result. Um, O'Malley got injured, you know, almost sort of trying to delegitimize Marlon Vera's uh, victory. I thought that was a completely legitimate win. I had no problem with it. Uh, I think I think Marlon Vera's kicks were what caused O'Malley to kind of roll his ankle almost. I think it was a nerve thing, kick just from being kicked in in the calf. Um, and uh, Sean O'Malley ended up going down. Marlon Vera saw his opportunity, 
but he saw his opportunity, dived on him, landed some hellacious elbows. And there was even controversy over the stoppage. People saying Herb Dean stepped in early. I wasn't I wasn't that upset with the stoppage either, if I'm honest with you. Um, some might think it was a tad early, but, you know, we, we had a go. I say we had a go. We criticised um, Herb Dean a few weeks ago for a late stoppage. And I remember saying at the time, give me 100 early stoppages over one late one. If that was early, I don't care, you know. I don't think I don't think it was a bad stoppage anyway. I think one or two of those elbows really, really did some damage on Sean O'Malley. So um, hopefully he'll come back. I think he will come back better. And uh, a huge win for Marlon Vera, who uh, I've spoken to a couple of times. He fought Brad Pickett over in England. He ended Brad Pickett's career, if you remember rightly. Uh, Brad Pickett was winning that fight, was trying to push the pace in the final round and got knocked out with a head kick. Um, I remember being in, uh, in, in, in the press room for that. But Marlon Vera, really, really lovely guy, but an absolute savage when he gets in the cage. All kudos to him. Um, how did you view that fight? I I have absolutely no issue with anything around that fight whatsoever. Yeah, so as the fight was playing out live, I initially thought, oh no, Sean O'Malley's kind of just kind of slipped and tripped up on his, on, on his ankle, rolled his ankle. We saw this happen with Michael Chandler a couple of years ago, I remember, where he kind of just twisted his ankle and it was just horrific to watch his kind of ankle just keep, continue to roll on itself and he couldn't put weight on it. And every time he did, it would just kind of bend and twist and, and contort in the most gruesome fashion. And I, I kind of saw that kind of happening where he was kind of limping, he was trying to hide it and protect it. Um, and I thought, oh God, it's only a matter of time now before Cheeto acknowledges the fact that he's now fighting um, a guy on one leg and just finishes him. So initially I thought it was just uh, an accident that happened, um, not something that Cheeto had inflicted with regards to uh, damage. It was only after the fact that, you know, when you start to see some of the replays and some of the kind of actions that led up to that moment, you could clearly see Marlon Vera strike um, the knee with a, with, a, with a leg kick and um, and that's where it kind of went under Sean O'Malley's uh, Sean O'Malley's weight. Unfortunate, a lot of hype around Sugar Sean O'Malley going into this weekend. It was a big one for him, you know, co-main event slot on a pay-per-view. But it, you know, for those of us that are, are in the know, we knew what Marlon Vera was capable of. We knew this was a tough contest, a really really tough matchup for Sean O'Malley. And all credit to Cheeto Vera. He didn't show me any sign of coming under under pressure. As, as Fight Week was playing out, I felt as though he was very comfortable. And it was almost a complete opposite of the Conor McGregor-Dustin Poirier fight from years gone by. And in, and in hindsight, Dustin Poirier has come out and said on new, numerous occasions that psychologically, mentally, that Fight Week got to him. There was so much hype around Conor McGregor you know all the interviews and all the questions and and all the marketing was all you know packaged around conor mcgregor being the next big thing and that's exactly what happened this week with sean o'malley even from the ufc's perspective you know they put him into every package they could uh if you look at social media they went big on sean o'malley and not so much on marlon vera so maybe that's something that he kind of uh, had he had that little chip on his shoulder where he wanted to prove a point and and in fact 
you know, after he won, he got on top of the cage and he kind of essentially said, this is the Cheeto show now, you know? So listen, Marlon Vera, Cheeto Vera has got everything you want if you're in the UFC. He's got attitude, he's got spunk, he's at the right age, he's he's finishing opponents, he's, you know, he wins more often than he loses, and he's, you know, just someone that's won on a co-main event slot on a UFC pay-per-view. So why not, you know, utilize that, propel that guy moving forward, knowing that whenever Sean O'Malley comes back from this injury, he'll be okay, he'll be okay, he'll be fine. And in fact, it's almost sometimes, and again, this is sometimes this is perhaps seeing uh, the glass half full than half empty. I am more of an optimist in life than a, than a pessimist. Maybe it's a good thing that Sean O'Malley has taken his first loss. Maybe it's a good thing he's taken that first L, and he doesn't have to carry the weight of being an undefeated fighter anymore moving forward, right? And in fact, maybe this injury has uh, is something that he's been trying to hide. Uh, for a while, who knows? Maybe it's something that he needs to to work on. I don't know. Maybe it's just a a freak injury, something that he hasn't really experienced or been through before. I don't know the answers to any of those questions. Um, but Sean O'Malley didn't waste any time. He went out on social media on Sunday. One word: humbled. That was the word he used. Um, so I guess credit for credit to him for taking it on the chin. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what he actually says when he has a more in-depth interview out there uh but from what i can tell he's not you know trying to i guess throw out any excuses right now um he used the word humbled and the only way i can interpret that is he's basically saying hey the better man won and we move forward so i'm looking forward to seeing sean o'malley come back fingers crossed it's not one of those horrific injuries where he'll be out for six nine months or a year or anything stupid like that um but for marlon vera man i i'm very happy for him you know he's someone that has utilized this moment he he knew he was in a big spot he get, gets the first round win and i i really hope that the ufc uh slap the rocket boosters on him and keep propelling him forward because I feel like they, he is someone that they can mold into being a legit, legitimate star in that bantamweight division as well. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I think the best is still very much to come from Sean O'Malley. As for Marlon Vera, he's proven that he's a contender. You know, I think he's his record, if you look at it on paper, is is pretty mixed. But his last eleven fights, um, he's eight and three. And every single one of those eight wins has been a stoppage. He has only, out of his 16 wins, 14 of them have been finished inside the distance. This is a man the UFC should be throwing a little bit of promotional weight behind. He's got a highlight reel of ridiculous finishes. You know, I mean, I mentioned the knockout of Brad Pickett. That was the fight that started the run. You know, every win since then for him has been a stoppage. And now he's got Sean O'Malley's name on his list. And... The, the the fight before that, where he lost out to Song Yadong, was a fight that a lot of people thought that he won. And he maintains that he did win that fight. So uh, I think Joe Rogan even said on the broadcast that he thinks he was thinks that Marlon Vera was robbed in that fight. So this is a guy who, but for that that slight slip up on the scorecards against, uh, against Song Yadong, he'd be riding a pretty tasty looking win streak right now. He'd be on seven fights in a row were it not for that but he's got eight finishes from his last eight wins this is a guy who really does need to have that push now we talked about O'Malley getting a push if he won I think that Marlon Vera should be getting that push now 
As for Sean O'Malley, the thing about losing the O on your record, sometimes that unbeaten record can hang around your neck like a millstone. I think he's young enough that I don't think it was really bothering him that much at, at this stage in his career. But I think the further on you go, the greater the pressure is to maintain that unbeaten record. And in mixed martial arts, that doesn't happen very often. You know, there's only a couple who have gone a significant length of time before they lose. I mean, in obviously you've got Khabib in the UFC. You've got Yaroslav Amosov in Bellator, who's 23-0. and um, He's fighting this weekend. There aren't many around who are competing on the top level who have a really lengthy, undefeated record. So... And it's not like boxing where you take your first loss and then all of a sudden, well, you know, you can't be world champion. You know, you're going to have to sort of be a mid-card guy. You don't have to have that. Um, it's about your losses. And yeah, he will look at his loss and say, okay, I picked up an unfortunate injury in that fight. He'll be able to compartmentalize that. It was a legitimate loss um, caused by his opponent. But I think he can also kind of file that away and go okay that was unfortunate my body wouldn't normally react like that to a calf kick um you hope that it won't react like that too many more times uh it might just have been like the perfect shot um and uh, we see the best of sean o'malley moving forward he will be a contender absolutely no doubt about it um quickly running through the rest of the car before that we had a, a banger of a heavyweight fight jazino rosenstroke versus junior dos santos now that was kickboxer versus MMA boxer, and a lot of people um, thought that Junior might be uh, might be the guy to send Jarzinho to uh, another defeat after he got brutalized at the hands of Francis Ngannou. But Rosenstreit looked superb in that fight and um, just timed his moment. And when he found his mark, then Junior had nothing for him. I mean, this is Junior dos Santos, who has proved to be one of the most durable heavyweights in UFC history. I just keep thinking back to those wars with Cain Velasquez who just could not put him away. Um, and uh, obviously, you know, they, they they take their toll. But uh, the way Jarzino Rosenstroke put Junior Dos Santos away was clinical. And I love the way he spoke after the fight, Sandu. Normally, after a win like that, you'd be standing on the top of the cage going, give me my title shot. I'm better than these guys and all the rest of it. He got humbled just one fight ago by Francis Ngannou. And he has no problem with that. You know, he understands that there is an order to things. And that Francis Ngannou deserves his shot first. And he hopes that he'll be in position to be the next guy. And if that means getting a, a rematch with Ngannou for the gold further down the line, all for it. No problem at all. But um, he's got his feet very much on the ground. He said in a post-fight press conference that he's very much a work in progress. He's still developing. Um, you know, he's still pretty, pretty green when it comes to mixed martial arts. He's still learning his trade. But he just happens to be a world-class finisher. Um, which obviously sees you rise up the ranks a lot faster. So we kind of know what's going to happen with Josino Rosenstreit. He's going to end up facing another top contender next. I mean, Derek Lewis wouldn't be a terrible matchup for him. Um, they might stick him in with Curtis Blade, see how he does against uh, a power wrestler. But the options for him are kind of positive ones. The question I wanted to ask you, though, what on earth happens with Junior Dos Santos at this point? That's three consecutive losses, three consecutive losses, by TKO finish. Um, and it's four. Actually four, five, six. His last six losses have all been by a TKO finish. So it's it's not a good look, is it? When you get to that stage in your career, you're fighting big, heavy-handed guys. 
You know, he got finished by Francis Ngannou. He got finished by Curtis Blades. And now he's been finished by Jazino Rosenstreich. Before then, he was on a three-fight win streak. So it's, it's, it is a fickle, fickle place, the UFC heavyweight division. And uh, he's not getting any younger. He's got himself a young family. What do you think he should do next? Should we be looking at potentially winding things down at this point? Or do you think there's still more gas in the tank? Could he make another run at heavyweight? I'm not sure, Sai. Um, the only thing I would say is, yes, he's lost three by TKO. and But if memory serves me correctly, none of them have been like lights out, knocked out cold, if that makes sense. None of them have been like the Francis Ngannou knockout of Alistair Overeem, for example, something like that. Thankfully, he's had referees that have been able to step in at the right moment, so he hasn't been able to take uh, any more punishment in those precarious situations, especially with the heavy-handed guys that he's been in with. Um, that being said, though, it's clear that he's lost an edge to what he can bring to the table. Either that or the competition has just gotten better and have figured out how to beat Junior Dos Santos. We spoke last week about his he was in incredible shape. I'm still curious to know if he can actually make 205. I don't know if that's uh, an unreasonable thing to consider at this stage, uh, but we've seen this year, you know, Jose Aldo moved down um, and we thought he wasn't going to be able to compete, but he was able to compete. So I don't know. Would the UFC give him one more fight heavyweight? I think they will. I think they will only because uh, Brazil is an important market to them. Always has been, always will be. And he is a former champion. And, um, but I think Junior needs to figure out whether he can still hang, you know, um, before it, it, it does get to a situation where maybe he does get a vicious knockout. You know, maybe next time, you know, it's he it is lights out cold and um it it is, you know, some serious concussion he's taken and things of that nature. Um but if he wants to continue long term, you know, maybe the, the Bellator heavyweight division would be a little bit better suited to him, you know. Bellator have got a lot of legends. He'd probably be, uh, in re you know, in comparison, a spring chicken compared to who Bellator have got in their heavyweight roster. And hey, wouldn't it be fun to see Fedor versus Junior De Santos? I mean, I'm just saying, uh, just like, you know, you've got some different stylistic matchups. You know, you've got marquee names and legends. Um, and I'd favour Junior De Santos to to do fairly well in the uh, in the Bellator heavyweight division, if not go all the way to to become a champion there. Um, again, it, will, it, it there's so much uh, to to find out first of all. Who knows how many fights he has left on his contract? Will or would the UFC be willing to part ways with him right now? Um, but yeah, it's um, if he does fight for the UFC again, Simon, I think it's going to be one of those situations where it's. He's, he'll be fighting for his UFC career at that stage. If he gets one more fight, it's literally you win or you're probably going to get cut and your overall you know, value in the marketplace will further decrease as well. Uh, because I know Bellator like to scoop up um, any talent they can, especially if you've got um, a UFC championship on your resume. But taking on board someone that's coming off of four losses isn't great, regardless of which promotion um, is interested. Um, so it's it's uh, one of the situations where I think JDS is going to be uh, coming to a crossroads in his future very, very shortly here. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a tricky one because of all divisions, the heavyweight division is the one where there could be more smoke and mirrors in the heavyweight division than in any other because, because they're big guys. They can all really bang. 
you're one you're one solid connection away from getting another knockout win and all of a sudden everything in the garden looks rosy again when actually it probably isn't you know and and uh once you once you're in there with the very top guys who are a bit more consistent that's when you get beat and um but having said that losing a few fights at heavyweight isn't necessarily uh, a ticket to the job center because Andre Arlovsky has been through some pretty horrendous runs of form at different stages in his career but he's always managed to somehow reinvent himself and come back and the UFC have given him the latitude to do that the question is will they do the same thing with Junior Dos Santos what you said about Bellator just got me really excited I just I'm a big fan of Bellator I love Bellator because they do things differently to the UFC and with that heavyweight division see I'm, I'm a huge fan of the old school tournaments and pride and all that sort of stuff and they just said sod this, right? We've got this heavyweight division. We've got a load of we've got a load of old guys here. They've got a load of name value. They can still do it against each other. If you put them against some of the young guys, it might get a bit tricky. Um, I think the best heavyweight in Bellator, aside from Ryan Bader, is Vitali Minikov. I think eventually he will be the Bellator heavyweight champion. Um, he's kind of coming to his coming into his fighting prime. But a lot of the other big names in that division are guys who are kind of past their peak, but are still capable of doing some damage. Throw Junior Dos Santos into that mix. Get another tournament going. It doesn't seem like that that long ago that they had a heavyweight Grand Prix. Let's have another one. Let's have another one. Get all the legends in there. Call it, put a legends belt up and say, right, you've got to have, you've got to be at least 35 to get in, or you've got to be at least 32 to get in, or you've got to have a certain number of fights to qualify pack the field you could probably get 16 of them without too much without too much trouble borrow a few people from glory as well they're they're kind of struggling right now get a few kickboxes in there and just make it interesting or do or do some sort of co-promoted thing and uh hold some of it over in japan they love that stuff over there they haven't got many heavyweights over there so do it over in japan as well you know turn it into something really big have an end of year heavyweight tournament or something it, I, I i would love that um and junior would fit in just perfectly uh, i think he would slot right in with better top, but i also think he's very loyal to the ufc so i don't know quite what's next for jds if he's asked to sort of leave the ufc or to hang him up then then uh that would be tricky i think he, he probably still wants to have a few more before he goes but certainly don't want him staying in there and getting smashed every time he gets in the cage that's a Rosenstrike, then, uh, yeah, you know, there is a lot more to come from the guy they call Biggie Boy. Uh, just very quickly, the other two fights on that main card. Daniel Pineda, who was due to fight in the final in the PFL and then failed a drug test, uh, was released um, and uh, has found himself in the UFC. Um, he fought Herbert Burns brother of Gilbert Burns, in a fight that I thought Herbert Burns would win. Herbert Burns had a little bit of hype behind him. He looked really good since he's joined the UFC. Daniel Pineda finished him in two rounds. Really impressive performance from him. And then the fight that kicked off the night was one that we talked about on last week's show. Uh, Merab Valishvili doing what we wondered whether he could by catching John Dodson sufficiently over the course of three rounds. He won all three rounds on all three scorecards. No mean feat against John Dodson. Uh, to get himself a big win. And he wanted to fight Sean O'Malley. Um, but now Sean O'Malley's lost. I don't know whether that makes that fight more more possible 
or not? I think probably it does. So who knows? Maybe Merod Valishvili versus Sean O'Malley could be our next fight at Bantamweight. That would be an interesting one to watch. But he looked very good um, in that fight. What did you make of his performance, Sandy? That was first fight of the uh, of the main card. Yeah, I mean, another decision, um, dominant decision and performance by Merav Devalishvili. Pretty much par for the course these days, isn't it, Simon? Really, if you look at his record, he's just someone that comes comes through, grinds you out, dominates you. Um, there wasn't any shadow of a doubt that he was going to get uh, his hand raised in victory after those three rounds. I just would love to see him take it to the next level. You know, I would love to see him, you know, get some finishes under his belt. I mean, it's great that he's on this uh, five-fight win streak now. Um, but, you know, he needs finishes, Si. I mean, five decisions are five decisions at the end of the day. Listen, you want to get your hand raised. You want to get your win. You want to get your, your win bonus first and foremost. But if you really want to set the UFC on fire, you'll want to start to, to get some highlight reel finishes uh, so that the UFC can package that all together for you next time they promote you. Outside of that... He's got great personality, great charisma. He's a very kind of iconic figure uh, when you look at um, his overall presentation, uh, both in and outside of the octagon. Um, he speaks English. He, he's, he's, a, he's a great, fun interview. And he's in a division that's absolutely on fire right now. Um, so it'll be interesting to see who the UFC um, match him up against next. I'm just looking at the, uh, the bantamweight rankings right now. Heading into the weekend, and they haven't been updated um, as of this recording, but he was he was number 15, and he was just one spot behind Sean O'Malley. So perhaps the win gets him a top 10 opponent. I mean, John Dodson was ranked number 12. Um, so maybe, I don't know, someone like a Rob Font, uh, Cody Stamman, some, someone like that, perhaps makes a lot of sense for him next. Um, but yeah, I, I just want to see him take his, his game to the next level now uh, and actually get some finishes in the UFC. I think that's the only thing, I guess, that's missing, the only ingredient missing from him really stepping up and going to the next level and making a run, especially when it comes to those those top five, top six, top seven guys, Simon, in that division, which is an absolute shark tank these days. If you're not finishing your opponents, the likelihood is you're going to get finished instead. So, you know, all good so far, but I want to see him, you know, take it up next time. Yeah, definitely. And it's kind of interesting because if he can't be the champion, um, he wants his friend to be the champion. And his friend and training partner is a certain Aljamain Sterling, so who is in the same division as him and he's one step closer to uh, getting his hands on the belt. So that'll be interesting if Sterling ends up getting hold of that belt and hangs onto it for a little bit and... Merab starts working his way up the rankings, just how that dynamic will work moving forward. Fun card of fights on Saturday night. Anybody who didn't catch the prelims and has a UFC Fight Pass subscription, I urge you, when you get a spare few minutes, log on and watch the first fight of the night. Kaya Kamaka III versus Tony Kelly. Two featherweights making their octagon debut, served up an absolute cracker in the very first fight of the night. With everything that followed, it's very easy for that to get completely forgotten about. But that was an absolute banger of a fight. They got fight of the night. They each got $50,000 bonuses to take home with them after their very first performance in the UFC. So if anybody out there didn't get to see the early prelims um, and have got a Fight Pass subscription, hop on UFC Fight Pass. Kai Kamaka the third 
versus Tony Kelly. First fight of the night at UFC 252. Recommended viewing. It was great stuff. That is UFC 252. And that is what we had this past weekend. This weekend, we've got ourselves a double header. We've got Bellator on Friday night. If you are stateside, you'll get that on Paramount and DAZN, I believe. If you're in the UK, you will get it. I think the prelims will be on, on YouTube, I think. The main card will be on Sky Sports. Check the listings for the exact channel. They tend to move it around a bit. Normally, Sky Sports Action will have it. Um, Ryan Bader is in the main event against Vadim Nemkov. They're both unbeaten as Bellator fighters. Uh, Bader, of course, champ, champ, heavyweight and light heavyweight uh, champion right now. Um, but it's his £205 belt that is on the line. Julia Budd who hadn't lost in almost a decade, got beat by Chris Cyborg and lost her featherweight title. She's coming back and is looking to get a win against Jesse Miller. Uh, Roy Big Country Nelson is looking to get himself a win. It's been ages since we've seen him get his hand raised. He's taking on a very dangerous Russian called Valentin Moldavsky. And a little further down, I don't know why he's so far down, but Yaroslav Amosov, who I mentioned earlier, Sandu, for me, he's the guy. He's the guy that should be facing Douglas Lima next whenever Douglas Lima is in a position to defend his 170-pound belt. He's looking to take on uh, Gago Musasi for the 185-pound title. But when he's freed up to fight 170 again, Amosov's the guy. He's 23-0. Um, he's fighting really early on the prelims. He was main event last time he fought. He beat Ed Ruth. Now he's like the second or third fight of the night, and he's taking on a dangerous guy, Mark Leminger. Um, who is 11-1 and on a decent win streak himself. So if you've got a bit of time on Friday night, catch that Bellator card. There is some good stuff on that fight card. Then Saturday, we've got the UFC again. Um, we're just churning out UFC events every weekend at this point. Pedro Munoz against Frankie Edgar is the main event at Bantamweight. Over in St. Preux, taking on the heavy-handed Alonzo Menafield in the co-main event. Uh, more light heavyweights with Marcin Prashnio versus Mike Rodriguez. And then a really interesting welterweight bout between Daniel Rodriguez and Takashi Sato. Um, that is the main card, Sandu. Are you on duty for that card on Saturday night? I am indeed, yeah. Actually, this is a packed weekend for me. I've got SmackDown on Friday. I've got UFC on Saturday. I've got SummerSlam on Sunday. And then i got Monday Night Raw, uh, obviously, on Monday. Uh, so, yeah, so I've got a few days off before it gets being a very, very busy weekend for me. And... Before we kind of just delve into this card a little bit and um, before we wrap things up, it's interesting just to note that we're, so we're seeing all of these sports leagues, you know, really try and figure out how best to integrate fans. Up until literally today, the WWE have essentially had paid extras uh, behind Pexiglass um, in their performance center in, in Orlando, Florida. And it's only like, you know, are we talking maybe 50, 60 people? It's not exactly packed arenas or anything like that. But they literally just announced earlier on today via a press release that this weekend they're going to have a, a massive setup in the Amway Center in Florida where they're going to have, I think, 2,500 square foot of, of LCD screens and panels. Um, and they're going to have virtual fans involved and they're calling it the, the Thunderdome and uh, all the rest of it. So... That's going to be interesting this weekend, just to see how they kind of integrate fans. Obviously, I know, I think we've discussed this before, unlike the setup that UFC has right now, uh, I don't think virtual fans would make any sense um, in, in the way things are set up for the UFC. Um, but yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what the WWE kind of produces with regards to integrating fan, fan experience there. Anyway, yes, 
to answer your question, I am on duty, looking forward to this card. And it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier on in the show. It's, here we go, a former champion, Simon, getting up there in age, and finally now has decided to, to move down a weight class uh, for the second time in his career, from lightweight to featherweight, and now from featherweight to bantamweight. Frankie Edgar making his bantamweight debut. If you've been following him on social media, he looks good. I'll give him credit there. He looks fantastic, looks in incredible shape. He does need a win, right? He, Frankie Edgar, at the age of 38, if he wants to make any type of movement towards getting on the fast track to getting a title shot at 135 pounds, it has to start with a win here. He needs a win. He's lost to Max Holloway and Chan Sung Jung over the last couple of years. And um, and now, you know, he's fighting someone in Pedro Munoz, who obviously just lost to Aljamain Sterling. But, you know, prior to that, was on some serious form. So it's not as if Frankie Edgar's getting thrown any easy meat here or anything like that. You know, it's, um, it's going to be a tough one for him. So we'll see how things play out. But I, I am expecting... Uh, Frankie Edgar to to get the win. I think ultimately his experience, um, and I think once he you know hydrates himself as well, I think that'll be a, a massive plus. Um, but who knows, Simon? You know that thirty eight years of age has his chin gone? Is he more susceptible to getting knocked out because he has uh, you know um, lost more water weight in the process of kind of cutting down to one hundred and thirty five pounds and all the rest of it? So very very curious to see how he looks. Very intrigued to see what his performance is like. And again, he's up he's up against no slouch in, in Pedro Munoz, who himself, you know, is I guess is pretty must be pretty thankful having coming off that Sterling loss to get A, a main event slot, but B, fighting a former champion and someone that's got uh, marquee name value. So curious to see how this one plays out. Yeah, that fight has been booked or it's been moved, I think, three times. So they're fi- finally getting the fight on. I just hope they both make weight because uh, they're approaching uh, Tony and Khabib territory. They've tried to make that fight a few times. Um, it just keeps getting nudged back. It's all been during this sort of coronavirus period. So I think it's just been uh, adjusted scheduling rather than anything major going wrong. Um, one thing I wanted to mention, just you talking about the WWE and how they're dealing with fans and stuff. It just reminded me of something that took place here in the UK on Friday night. I did a story on it for uh, MMA Junkie, uh, a promotion called Contenders. Uh, held a show in Norwich here in, uh, in in England, in East Anglia, for those who know, who know the geography in this part of the world. Uh, Contenders 30. And it was called Drive-In. Contenders 30 Drive-In. They got um, like a stately home kind of place called Taverham Hall um, in Norwich. It's just a big open field. They put a raised octagon in the middle of the field. And people could pay their money and drive their cars onto the field. Do you remember the opening se- or the opening credits of the Flintstones? Where they're all driving up to the driving movie in their in their in their sort of boulder cars and stuff, and they put the meat on the side of the car and it tips over. It was kind of like that, um, and it was just drive-in MMA, and it looked awesome. And um, it was actually the um, the last promotion to uh, feature a fight by Jaro Shepherd. Uh, he was actually their welterweight champion, and they did a nice little tribute to him on the night. They had a massive big screen. Uh, there was commentary. Um, as a colleague of mine, Mark Heath, who writes for the Eastern Daily Press, um, he was on commentary duty and uh, the commentary was transmitted via 
via radio so that people could listen to the commentary on their car radios uh, while watching the action from their cars and they're honking their horns to cheer and all the rest of it. And it, it looked amazing. And um, if, you, if, you've got, um, if you've got a minute, jump on MMA Junkie, um, especially if you're in North America, you get, the, you get the full fat version of MMA Junkie with everything on it. Um, you'll get the video of the MC Ricky Wright who actually just does like a selfie video mid, I think mid walkout. Someone's doing a walkout, I think. And he's there going, look at this. And he's sort of waving his camera around. And there's all you can see is just loads of cars all honking their horns and everything. Look absolutely brilliant. And um, sounds like it was a, it was a great success. They had like MMA bouts, boxing bouts, K1 bouts, like 13 fight card they had on there. Um, and uh, yeah, it sounds awesome. It's just a shame that, I wasn't able to go because it looked like an incredible night out. It looked brilliant. I mean, maybe that's the next thing. We've had fight for the troops and all of that sort of stuff that's happened in the past. Maybe the UFC can do some sort of driving event. Could, mind you, can you imagine the fighting in the like the cars would be smashing into each other? And uh, instead of wooing, we'd get like some sort of synchronized tooting on the horns and stuff. It would just be, it'd be mad. But it looked great. It looked really good. So I just thought I'd give that a very quick mention before we wrap things up which we should probably do about now that was that was uh, another packed show obviously a lot on Steve Pamiocic and Daniel Cormier it was a, an important fight in uh, in UFC history and uh, wish both men all the best we'll see what happens with Stipe and uh, look forward to having Daniel Cormier on our screens and uh, in our ears as uh, a commentator for the UFC moving forward Sandu how can everybody get this show each week Everyone can go to the Britpack.substack.com. That is the place for everyone to go. Subscribe with your email address. And from there, you can be redirected to wherever you uh, want to catch the podcast, whether it's on Apple, on Android, Spotify, what have you. Uh, For those of you who do listen to us on an Apple podcast, drop us a rate and review. That'd be great and much appreciated. Always helps us out. But Simon, before we wrap things up, we're very fortunate to be recording uh, a day early because there's some breaking news that we can react to. Last week, we were able to react to the signing of Paige Van Zandt by Bare Knuckle FC. And today, quickly, before we wrap things up, a tweet by ESPN's Brett Okamoto. Breaking news, a 205-pound fight between Dominic Reyes and Jan Blahovic is in the works for September 26th, the fight is nearly agreed to, but the stakes are being worked out. The UFC is working with current champ John Jones right now to figure out his next move. So that's huge, massive implications for the light heavyweight division. My key takeaway right there is the stakes of the fight being worked out. Because you'd have to think if John Jones, A, isn't planning on fighting at all for the remainder of 2020, or B, if his next fight has been agreed to with the UFC and it is going to be at heavyweight, then clearly the fight between Reyes and Blahovic would have to be for either A, an interim light heavyweight title, or B, for the legitimate light heavyweight title. If John Jones, for example, is moving up to heavyweight and has no intentions of coming back down ever again. Much like Henry Cejudo's belt was technically officially on the line the minute 
the Figueredo fight, you know, took place. Um, I mean, that's that's a lot to digest and a lot to to react to. But um, Simon, just give me give me your take, uh, your instant take and reaction to that breaking news right there. My instant take is that wiped out about five minutes of monologue from me earlier on the show talking about the Dominic Reyes John Jones fight. But but that does make a lot of sense. I think what it what it tells you is that the UFC are ready for John Jones to move up. It tells me that they are ready to move on from John Jones as the UFC light heavyweight champion. And I think we're now in the position where they're negotiating with Jones. And that negotiation will then determine what happens. Make no mistake, from what you just said, that that fight is going to have a belt on it. It's whether the word interim is going to be used or not. I think that's that, I think that is basically what it boils down to at this point. Because either the winner of that fight is going to get John Jones or John Jones is moving up and uh that's just going to relinquish it's going to see him relinquish the belt. Um but as you said earlier, it seems hard to think that Jones is not going to move up and instantly drop himself straight into a title fight. He's got the cachet to do it. He's been a champion for years. To then suddenly move up and find himself in a three-round co-main event behind a title fight doesn't make a lot of sense to me. Nor does it make sense for him to be a main event in a fight night. So, I don't know. Is Francis Ngannou about to get the shaft? This is a question. I mean, I don't I don't know. I, don't, I can't... Im- there is another thing that could be happening here, and that is John Jones versus Francis Ngannou for an interim heavyweight title. That is possible. Stipe has literally just fought a five-round war with Daniel Cormier. He's going to need some time off. Likely, we won't see him until maybe Q2 2021. We might be talking a lengthy layoff before he gets himself back into the cage. Why not do an interim title fight? Francis Ngannou is champion at the bit to fight. John Jones wants to get up to heavyweight, stick an interim belt on the line just to keep the pot boiling. Francis Ngannou gets his fight. He wants to fight John Jones. That, to me, makes the most sense. I think getting Jones to agree to drop an undisputed belt to fight for an interim belt is where it gets tricky and the pot might need to be sweetened with a few extra dollar bills to make that happen. But, yeah, what it tells me is that this is exciting. That's what it tells me. I think it means that John Jones is going to move up to heavyweight. Business is going to pick up at heavyweight. And at light heavyweight, all bets are off. The guy who was the dominant, like, you know, like uh, the teacher's just leaving the classroom at this point. Once Jones is gone, the belt is up for grabs. The division looks wide open. You've got Yuri Prohaska, who fancies himself as a contender. You've got the two guys at the top of the division. We've got other contenders moving their way up. Light heavyweight's going to get very interested and we might see the belt change hands a few times as well. So all in all, this is exciting stuff. And I had no idea that that was playing out while we were talking earlier. So uh, big news. I literally just caught it as we were wrapping things up. And the other interesting thing is this is on September 26th. This is the same card as Adesanya versus Costa. So that's the next big UFC pay-per-view in September. And my inkling tells me that this is going to be for an interim light heavyweight title. And that's the way from a marketing perspective, how the US you're going to be able to spin it with regards to, okay, Adesanya Costa is top of the bill, right? Now, normally the heaviest weight class when it comes to championships takes the, to- uh, the marquee billing, top, you know, top billing on these cards. 
But if they're going to slap Reyes versus Blahovich onto this card, and it's not going to be a three-round co-main, it's got to it's got to be a, it's got to be a five-rounder. And the only way they're going to be able to justify why it's going to be co-main and not main is the fact that it'll be for an interim like heavyweight title. So they're going to kind of say, look, the legit undisputed middle middleweight championship takes top top billing here you know amongst the two so interesting man that that kind of has blown me away because that now kind of essentially takes the whole idea of john jones fighting reyes in in the rematch that we were all hoping that we'd get off the table and and it literally just it literally just leaves us with two options which is john jones is either going to sit out for the remainder of this year if he can't come to an agreement with the UFC on terms and conditions for his next fight, regardless of weight class, because he's made it clear he wants to get paid, right? So he's either going to sit out if he can't, if he can't, you know, come to the table with the UFC and hash out a deal, or B, if he is going to fight again this year, then it's clearly going to be a heavyweight. And, and, and like you said, it just comes down to who that's going to be, whether it's a Francis Ngannou, whether he skips the line and fights Stipe Miocic, which is something that we all want to see, which would be huge. I mean, what a way to end 2020. We already know that uh, through November, we know what the schedule is looking like in terms of pay-per-views, events and fights. But man, what a way to end 2020. Man, Stipe Miocic, John Jones, the, the, the heavyweight GOAT in the UFC versus the light heavyweight GOAT. And man, regardless of who'd win that contest, you'd have to say that they get into the equation of the greatest of all time as well. I mean, if you're Stipe Miocic and you beat John Jones, man, that that's a, a great, you know, uh, way to kind of say, hey, here's my GOAT status right there. I just beat John Jones. And this time it wasn't by some sort of disqualification, you know, asterisk next to my name. No, I finished him or I, or I defeated him, uh, you know, soundly over five rounds. And if you're John Jones... What's the one thing that George St. Pierre has over you, Daniel Cormier? They've all got two belts in two different weight classes, right? And so for him to be able to do that would be massive. So this is going to be interesting to track and, and stay on top of, especially in the coming days and weeks, because now all of a sudden it's your move, John Jones. Are you going to fight again in 2020? And if so, will that be a heavyweight? Wow. What a way to end the show, Simon. What a way. Madness. You completely threw me off. You completely threw me off. We need to get out of here. Believe it or not, I've got another show to record in a minute. So um, I'm, I'm absolutely flat out today, which uh, which has been how this week has gone. Kind of apt, given the news you've just been given. It's kind of flawed the pair of us. But big news, big, big news. And it means that more talking points are going to come and it keeps things moving. MMA very rarely stands still. You know, it's always something just around the corner. Just when you think things might be just beginning to settle something massive happens and this is the latest thing can't wait to find out how all this is going to play out I and mean, of course we will unpack it all and discuss it all and offer our takes on it all as we go forward here on the brit pack you can get sandu at sandu mma on all social media platforms you can get me at simon head on twitter and simon head sport on instagram the show is the brit pack mma on twitter and uh, as you heard earlier you can get us via thebrickpack.substack.com we are available pretty much everywhere you can get a podcast these days thank you so much for listening enjoy the fights this weekend bellator friday ufc saturday we'll be back next week to talk all about it